Genesis 3, you know, it keeps coming up, uh, someone said. And um, I believe that's, that's very important. And that's a good thing. Uh, because Genesis 3 is foundational uh, to everything we believe as Christians. I mean, the first three chapters of Genesis are... Um, you have God creating the world. You have um, the, the fall and, and showing how, uh, why we are in the condition that we're in. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Um, what we see in the chapters before Genesis 3 is God creating a world of perfect peace and harmony. He, he speaks and light comes into existence and the planets go into their places. He speaks and the, the, the water and the land divide and he calls the land, or he calls the, the dry ground land and he calls the water, the seas. And everything is obeying God. He just speaks and whether it's an inanimate object or whether it's his creatures, everything obeys him until Genesis chapter 3. God created male and female in his image to reflect the glory of God, to rule over his creation, to, to have dominion over all the creatures. And this was good. He said everything that he had made was good. And we were made to live forever worshiping God. Until Genesis 3. And we come to the fundamental core problem of our existence. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruits of the tree in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and ate. And she gave also she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to make themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? 
Have you eaten of the tree which, of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave me, she gave, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. You shall return to the ground, for out of of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife Eve, because she was the mother of all the living, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you tell us what is wrong with us. And Lord, you've told us how we can have a remedy in Jesus. Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that obey. That we would not be like the people that Isaiah spoke to who kept on hearing and never really heard. Lord, open our eyes that we might see and savor your glory. And Father, be with me. I am weak, and you are strong. Pray that you would give me strength to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So God made everything perfect. It was paradise. The man and the woman were to live there. They were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to take dominion over the earth until we read the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. This word crafty there, it could have positive or negative connotations. Uh, It has the idea of, of a wisdom 
not necessarily a good kind of wisdom. And we see this talking snake. I, I, I believe it's historical. I believe that the, the snake really did talk in the garden, but that's not really the point that I want to linger on. What I want to point is to what the snake was doing. He said to the woman, Did God actually say? God had given them one command. He gave them the command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree in the midst of the garden. That one tree. They could eat from any other tree. It's, he was generous. He had a whole garden and everything just bore fruit without having to work for it. And the serpent comes and attacks God's word. Whenever he says, did God actually say that's really the problem with most of what we see wrong in our society today even within those who would say that they're believers who justify many of what we see see is wrong with our culture they'll ask did God really say that Homosexuality is wrong? Well, let's look at it this other way. Let's, let's, let's try to do some reinterpretation. And, and they, they, they bring up this, did God really say? That's what the serpent began with in the garden. It's nothing new. But to begin to twist and prod at the Word of God to try, to try to fit it to fit our own desires instead of submitting to what He has given us. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. You shall not touch it. You, uh, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. She adds to what God had originally said. God never said anything about touching it. But just to be careful, just to, to, to be sure that she didn't cross that line, she added this other prohibition. No, neither shall you touch it. Probably a safe thing to do if you don't want to... Uh, Thinking about uh, dating relationships and you, know, you, you hear this kinds of, of thing. Where, where, how far is too far in a dating relationship for you young people? Okay, and, and the question is not how far is too far, but it's how far can I get away from sin, right? Um, she, was, she was drawing a line there before it, so she never even got to... Um, to the transgression. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. First he ends up, first he begins with a, a question mark. Uh, did God really say? Just uh, causing a doubt within her mind about the truthfulness of God's word. And then he outright contradicts it. 
And he says, you shall not surely die. The Lord had told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And the serpent tells her exactly the opposite. You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He begins to try to make God look stingy. Remember, God is the one who gave them this garden of plenty. It it produced, and they could eat from any tree in the garden. But the serpent says, oh, God doesn't want that for you because it'll make you wise. It'll open your eyes. You'll know good and evil just like God. You'll be like God yourself. And he twists. And in a way, he was right. Because if we look at the end of the chapter, God says, Behold, man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He was telling her the truth in a very twisted and sick kind of way. So the woman, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate it. She went from trying to run away from sin, trying to put things in the way so that she didn't cross over to kind of questioning God, to listening to other voices other than the voice of God. And ultimately, she began to be tempted and to desire what God had forbidden. Her desires in themselves were twisted. So, she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave some to her husband. Isn't that how it is when we partake in sin? The next thing you know, we're inviting others to join us. She she gave some to her husband. Then the eyes of both were opened. What did Satan say would happen? Your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. But what happens? What he said would happen, happened. Their eyes were open. But it wasn't the cause of something to rejoice about. When their eyes were open, what does it tell us? Their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked. Immediately they felt shame. They were ashamed of what they'd done. They knew their nakedness. Before they were naked, they had no clothing and they felt no shame at all. It was man and wife together. There was no reason for any shame because there was no sin in the world. And yet as soon as sin entered the world, they they began to feel shame. And what is it that we do when we feel shame? We want to cover ourselves. And that's what they did. They sewed fig leaves together 
to make themselves loincloths. When we sin, we need our sin covered. The covering for our sin is the blood of Jesus. They couldn't cover their own sin. They tried to to sew together these fig leaves, but it was a worthless attempt. Just imagine how absurd that would be with seeing someone walking around with just these fig leaves sewn together to try to cover up their bodies. And that's what we do whenever we try to cover our own sin with our own good works. We try to be a good person. We try to clean up. We put on a mask. And we try to look good in front of other people. We try to maybe give to charity. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I mean, as far as giving to charity and and serving your neighbors and all of those things, those are not bad things to do. But if we try to make those things our coverings, we try to make our works, make us right with God, it's just like fig leaves. You do nothing. It's just absurd. In verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife and, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. It was often that the Lord would come down among the garden and walk with man. It was not an unusual thing. It tells us in the last chapter that that's what would happen. There was perfect communion between man and woman. There was perfect communion between God and man. And yet, when sin entered the world, they hid themselves. And that's our reaction. When we sin, we want to hide ourselves. Because like we said this morning, God is infinitely holy. He is so good and so glorious. We can't stand to bear. To, to, we cannot stand in His presence apart from the mediation of Jesus Christ. These, this first couple, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Instead of running to Him, running into His arms like we sometimes sing, they hid from Him. But the Lord called the man and said to him, Where are you? It's interesting, God asks Adam a question as if God didn't already know. God is omniscient. He is perfect in all of his knowledge. He knows all things. He knew this was going to happen even before he created Adam. And yet he asks, where are you, Adam? Of course, I I know you've probably heard this before, but um, God wasn't asking Adam where he was in order for God to know, but so that Adam would take stock and realize where he was. We need somebody to ask us that. Wait a minute. Look at your life. Look at where you are. Where are you? 
The way sin brings us into certain situations in our life. We have to take stock and ask ourselves, where have I gone? Or where have I fell from? When I used to enjoy the fellowship of God. and Now I seem to have gone so far away. We need to hear that. Where are you? If you're apart from Christ right now, hear these words. If, you, if you've not trusted in Jesus, hear these words. Where are you? God is asking, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We've already talked about this a little bit, but I, I see here when you look at the Hebrew text, the, the word the sound of you in the garden. I mean, it's the same word for voice. So it's, it's the idea of uh, I heard the voice of the garden, voice of you in the garden. I don't know if that's it, it can be used both ways, but I, I really the idea of it being the voice. Uh, I mean, what is it that we do when we're lost? When we hear God's word, our natural reaction is to say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear God's word. Until he softens our heart and calls us by his word and calls us by his spirit. Heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I hid my and hid because I was naked and hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Now, again, God knew the answer. He was asking this question again for Adam to take stock, to realize what he had done. Have you eaten of the fruit of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And what does Adam do? He plays the blame game. It was the woman. <laughs> it was the woman. He shifts the blame. Isn't, the, isn't that always what we do too? And he said, comes to the woman, asks her the same thing. It was the serpent. He deceived me. He tricked me. One um, in the Hebrew dictionary, it says, beguiled me. And that's what the reaction was. They, they shifted the blame from themselves to another. And then the serpent, God speaks to him. That was the fall. I'm going to linger here for a moment. Um, we're about to come upon the passage about the curse. We're, let's linger about the fall here. God created our existence to be a perfect paradise with Him, with perfect fellowship with Him. He didn't create the world so that we would have babies die in infancy. He didn't create the world so that we would have natural disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, fires. He didn't create the world so that we would have cancer and all of those things. But because of sin entering the world, so death came through sin is what Paul tells us. Everything that is wrong with your life has its roots and its origins 
in Genesis chapter 3. It's because sin entered the world. We, we have desires that we don't want to have. Sinful desires that we don't want to have because of Genesis 3. We are born into this world corrupt with a sinful nature. We get sick. We die. It's even a tragedy when someone lives to be 99 and dies. It's the result of the curse. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of what Adam and Eve had done, but yet we all earn it ourselves too. When we, as soon as we're able, act out in our own, following the inclinations of our sinful nature, and we sin, ratifying what Adam had done many years before. Now verse 14, God begins to... To give the curse. The Lord said to the serpent, Before, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This was the curse on the serpent. He actually cursed the serpent. Cursed are you above all livestock, is what he says to the serpent. And notice here, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is often called uh, the the proto-euangelion. It's uh, the first announcement of the gospel in the Bible. This this word offspring in the ESV translation, it's it's the word for seed. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. And that's a singular word. We don't necessarily get that from the term offspring. Offspring, we think all of their descendants after them. But here the word is seed, singular. And Paul talks about this uh, in in, um, Galatians chapter 3. We're talking about Abraham and Abraham's promise of, of seed. And Paul says that when he makes a big deal out of this plural singular thing, he says he was talking about the seed singular, which is Christ. Well, guess who wrote Abraham story and who wrote the Genesis story? It was Moses, both of them, same guy, wrote the same book. Okay. There's a theme that runs throughout Genesis and throughout all the first five books of the Bible of the seed of the woman that would come and crush the serpent's head. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent that would come one day. He promises that one day, while 
He shall bruise your head. You, you, some, sometimes people say crush, and I think that's probably, the, it, it can mean both things, and I think that's probably the best way to crush the serpent's head. And you shall bruise his heel. And Jesus took the pain of the cross upon himself. We're going to come back to this. But right now we're going to look at the woman. To the woman he said, I will surely put I will surely multiply your pains, pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I want to notice first what did he say to the serpent? He said, cursed are you. Does he say that to the woman? No. He does not say that the woman is cursed. He says, I will multiply your pain in childbirth. Now, they had already been given the command, be fruitful and multiply. So childbirth was already a part of God's original good design. But what the curse does... And by curse, I'm using that generally. He didn't use the word curse when talking to um, the woman. Is it increases the pain, increases the toil. It makes what should have been a beautiful, wonderful celebration into something that is painful, sometimes deadly. And he says... Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And I, I, I don't want to be offensive or anything like that, but uh, I think what we see here is, is there's going to be conflict between the genders. There's going to be conflict between male and female, between husband and wife. There'll be fighting and bickering. And maybe the sin that... Women, women might be prone to. I'm not saying that necessarily every woman is like this. But, uh, but the sin that women might be prone to is to try to supplant her husband's authority. To try to, to, to be maybe a, a bossy wife. I'm not trying to say that's what everybody's like. I'm just saying that's, that seems to be what your desire will be for your husband but he shall rule over you. On the same side, the man, it's not, this is not saying it's a good thing that he's going he's gonna to overcome her. No. He's going to be ruling like a, 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 a slave driver. He's going to be abusive. Where there should have been perfect harmony between a husband and wife because of the fall we have a distortion in our relationships that causes women to do things that was not a part of God's original plan for the family and it causes men to be abusive. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because... Of you. Notice. Did he curse Adam? No. He cursed the ground. But 
The word for ground there is Adama. <laughs> it's the same. Well, it's a very similar word. It sounds the same. But he didn't curse Adam. He cursed the ground. He cursed the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all of you the days of your life. And thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The results for Adam were that he would be... Oh my, I can't believe how late it is. (laughs) I just realized it's already been 30 minutes, but I'll I'll, I'll keep going. Um, The result for Adam is... is, uh, that all of his work will be frustrated. He, um, work was supposed to be a part of the original creation design. He was put into the garden to, to till it and to take care of the animals. He was put into the garden to, to have dominion over all the earth. He was supposed to work. But what the curse brings in upon the ground is a frustration of our labors. It brings in painful toil. And we no longer uh, can just get up and work for the joy of it, but we want to hit the snooze button 16 times before we finally get up. I'm talking about me. (laughs) It's hard. It's frustrating. It's not how God designed it to be. And then it says... Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The consequence of the fall is we die. God had said, in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And here in the curse, Adam's death sentence was signed. He would die. He would be returned to the dust. And so do all of us. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Notice this. They tried to cover themselves fig leaves. And it wouldn't cut it. And so the Lord provided for them clothes made of skins. Where did he get the skins? <laughs> Where did he get the skins? An animal had to be sacrificed. An animal had to die. So that they could have skins for clothing. And this points forward to the whole sacrificial system. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. We can't atone for our own sins by trying to make clothes for ourselves out of our own works. We can only be sufficiently covered so that we can stand in the presence of the King when we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ that was secured by His sacrifice on the cross. 
Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out, and at the east of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Um, It was grace that God removed Adam and Eve from the garden. If Adam and Eve would have been able to take the fruit of the tree of life, and as, as God is saying here, and live forever, they could eat that in rebellion against God and never have their relationship restored with Him. And they keep on living forever. But it was a grace that God removed them from the garden that they would die. That they would see their frailty. That they would see their need. Jesus said, it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's because a rich person doesn't feel they need anything. I've got enough. I've got everything I need. I don't need Jesus. And in the same way, if Adam and Eve would have been able to partake of that fruit of life and live forever, they wouldn't have any sense of need. But every time, when we read in the genealogy that comes later, so-and-so lived so many years and he died. So many, so-and-so lived so many years and he died. And he died. And he died. It's just ringing out like an echo. Pointing us to the fact that things are broken. This is the first half of the sermon. <laughs> I'll try to go a little bit faster in the second. This seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is, is what I think is foundational to the rest of understanding the Old Testament. Particularly understanding Genesis through Deuteronomy and the rest of the Old Testament. Notice in the very next chapter you have Cain and Abel. Now Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. What did the promise say? What did 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 God say to the man and the woman? You're going to have children and it's going to (laughs) hurt. Right? Well, she had a child with the help of the Lord, and she says, I have gotten a man. Right? She's giving herself the credit. And she thinks maybe this is the one who will be the answer to God's promise. Maybe this will be the seed of the woman that God talked about. And then she has another child, Abel. Abel's life. Actually, is the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes. Abel's name is the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes for vanity, breath. It's gone. Cain and Abel, we know the story. Cain kills his brother Abel. Now, now what? God just promised there's going to be a descendant of mine who's going to come and crush the serpent's head. One of them's a murderer and the other one's dead. 
What are you going to do, God? And then at the end of chapter 4 we read, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed another offspring instead of Abel. A seed. You follow and you trace this line. You look ahead to the story of Noah. And then the genealogy, it tells us in verse 28 of chapter 5, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us from uh, relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. You hear the echoes of the curse there? What was God's curse on the ground? We're going to have painful toil in our labors. And Lamech was looking forward to his son saying, this one is going to bring us rest from the curse. He's thinking, maybe this one is the seed of the woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. We know that story too. God brings a flood. He destroys the earth. And Noah saves the world. As a type of Jesus. But he wasn't the ultimate seed that was to come. Then we go forward a little bit. To Genesis chapter 12. And God promises a man named Abraham. To your offspring. To your seed. I will give this land. He promises Abraham that he will have a seed. That will be a blessing to all the nations. Kings would come from his line. Tracing this seed of the woman. And then in Genesis 38, we get this really weird story. It's right in the middle of the Joseph story, where Joseph, you know, is sent to Egypt and he he becomes the second to Pharaoh. But right in the middle of that story, in chapter 38, you have this story where Judah, remember Judah, he's the one that tribe of Judah, the one that David came from, the one that Jesus came from. Where Judah has a son who marries Tamar and he dies before they're able to have any children. And in that culture they had the, the, the uh, um, custom that if a, if a man dies before having any children, then his brother was to marry that woman so that he could raise up children, raise up a seed for his brother who had died. So Judah's brother marries Tamar and he sins and God kills him. And it's looking really bad for Judah. He's like, okay, uh, I know God's promised to be faithful. I know God's promised to, 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 um, to have a seed of the woman come from my line. But he's afraid. Selah, his son... Is the next in line, and, and he doesn't want to give his son to Tamar. Well, it ends up, I don't want to go into the whole story, but Judah is tricked into lying with Tamar, and she conceives and has twins, and one of those is Perez, which we find in the genealogy of Jesus. And then later, in the book of Ruth, 
Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 7. God makes a covenant with David and he promises when your days are old, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your seed after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. A few verses later. And the house and your house and your kingdom shall be made secure for sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. So when Isaiah comes preaching, God's going to come and destroy y'all. The question that's hanging is, how is God going to be faithful to his promise? And God is faithful. We talked about that this morning. He saved a remnant. We read in the prophets all about a branch of David, a root of Jesse. All talking about the same person that was the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. And then the New Testament begins in Matthew the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of Abraham. I won't read the whole genealogy. Our fundamental problem is our sin. And it all started back in a garden when God's word was not trusted, when God's word was challenged, when His word was attacked. Sin entered in. And we live in a very messed up world. A world where we can't agree on anything. You get on your social media and just tell me about it. We are so divided. What's part of the curse? Relationships are going to be distorted. Between man and woman, between everybody. It's all part of the curse. Tonight we looked at our problem and we looked at the promise that the seed of the woman was coming to save us all. (laughs) 